News Talk 1110-993-WBT. King Charles III is giving his first address to the UK. We shall join it now in progress. The role and the duties of monarchy also remain, as does the sovereign's particular relationship and responsibility towards the Church of England, the church in which my own faith is so deeply rooted. In that faith and the values it inspires, I have been brought up to cherish a sense of duty to others and to hold in the greatest respect the precious traditions, freedoms and responsibilities of our unique history and our system of parliamentary government. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. My life will, of course, change as I take up my new responsibilities. It will no longer be possible for me to give so much of my time and energies to the charities and issues for which I care so deeply. But I know this important work will go on in the trusted hands of others. This is also a time of change for my family. I count on the loving help of my darling wife, Camilla. In recognition of her own loyal public service since our marriage 17 years ago, she becomes my queen consort. I know she will bring to the demands of her new role the steadfast devotion to duty on which I have come to rely so much. As my heir, William now assumes the Scottish titles which have meant so much to me. He succeeds me as Duke of Cornwall and takes on the responsibilities for the Duchy of Cornwall, which I have undertaken for more than five decades. Today, I am proud to create him Prince of Wales, Tewisog Cymru, the country whose title I've been so greatly privileged to bear during so much of my life and duty. With Catherine beside him, our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the centre ground where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community, to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, 
let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks for your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late Papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. All right. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That was King Charles III in his uh, statement. I guess it, he has concluded, I believe, it sounds like. Yeah, he has concluded. Um, so uh, does this does this unite the seven kingdoms? Is that how is that how that works? I don't follow the uh, I don't follow the the monarchy. I never have. I know a lot of people do. I know it's also historic, which is why we uh, we brought to you the message. Um, but I'm I don't and not even the stuff with like Harry and Megan and the podcast stuff and the Oprah appearance. I don't even. Yeah, I have too many other things to uh, to worry about. Like, for example, in North Carolina, uh, we have our own king, Roy, or Ray to his friends, <clears throat> Cooper. Um, well, I mean, he acted like that during the pandemic. Um, he has been positioning himself as a moderate. This has been an image that... Uh, uh, Democrats and uh, media, but I repeat myself, they have long cultivated for for uh, Cooper. And now they uh, this is another example. I, I think I used this exa- uh, this analogy in the first hour. It's like the dog that caught the car. And once you catch the car, you don't know what to do with it. And I am genuinely curious to see when people begin realizing that Roy Cooper is not the moderate that everyone has pretended him to be. Just because he he plays one doesn't mean he is one. Because now he's got a higher profile nationally, and now they're even talking, they being, you know, Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, they are discussing him as even a potential either presidential or vice presidential candidate in 2024. Oh, I know Joe Biden's running for re-election. Uh-huh. Sure, totally. I suspect that conventional wisdom might shift a little bit after the midterms this year, but we shall see. Here's Patrick Gleason writing at Forbes.com. As President Joe Biden's approval ratings have dropped and with polls showing most Democrats want somebody else to run in 2024, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper has begun receiving more national attention as a 2024 presidential prospect. Roy Cooper is often portrayed as a moderate, both in style and substance. This centrist perception is widely considered key to Cooper's political success in a state where the Republican Party has been on the rise for 30 years. 
Yet this perception of moderation no longer squares with reality. Cooper is advocating uh, in an uh, oral arguments at the North Carolina Supreme Court in the Leandro case. The Cooper administration advocates for an outcome that would result in a constitutional crisis. That's hardly a moderate position to adopt. The lawsuit, commonly referred to as Leandro, will determine whether a judge can order state officials to authorize new spending that was not approved by the General Assembly, which is what the Constitution requires, that the spending come from the, uh, from the legislature. And Cooper is engaged in a lawsuit and an effort to overturn that constitutional norm. That is not a moderate thing to do. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Remember, get the podcast. Comes right to your smartphone or tablet free three times a day after each hour. And uh, you get that by going to WBT.com or any of your favorite podcasting platforms or the Show.com. There's just a lot of different ways to get it, to get me, you know. Um, in supporting the Leandro plaintiffs, Governor Roy Cooper seeks to take education spending in North Carolina to take these decisions out of the hands of the Republican-led General Assembly. He wants courts to force the state to adopt his preferred spending plan. They're calling it the Comprehensive Remedial Plan. You've heard me talk about this. We've interviewed uh, Dr. Terry Stoops a couple times about the Leandro case from the John Locke Foundation. This is the big school funding lawsuit. And by the way, if you're on social media, maybe you've seen some of the hashtag usage. There, It's called Lead with Leandro. It's a whole marketing campaign from the usual left-wing organizations. And this case has been going on for 30 years. And now they see their opportunity to essentially make an end run around the legislature and force spending that they set, that they determined as adequate and necessary for all children to get access to the sound basic education. Because, of course, you know, this remedial plan created by the lefty group out of San Francisco, right, I'm sure this will do it this time, right? This amount of money, this additional amount of money going to the teachers, that'll do it. Have you noticed, by the way, that on the one hand, we are told that all of the teachers are fantastic, but on the other hand, we are told that we can't get great teachers unless we pay them way more money? Seems like a bit of a, I don't know, paradoxical argument, a little contradictory, don't you think? And they were also told that they're not doing it for the money, which, by the way, I believe most teachers do not do it for the money. I believe that uh, they want to do it. I believe they, you know, come up through a K-12 government school. They're very familiar with it, uh, with it uh, and uh, they like working with people. I'm not going to make some sort of sweeping generalization about women, but (laughs) I think like I think women are more motivated by relationships. This is thing. It's a thing that they seek out more so than dudes. We kind of go to our caves with the Xbox. And 
Uh, no, for real. I, I think there is a I think there is a calling that a lot of people in the education profession feel to do it. I think they don't do, just like police and firefighters, military folks. I think they're called to serve. And uh, I've often said I want to pay great teachers a lot more money, but I refuse to pay the bad ones the same amount. It's pretty simple standard. And like, oh, well, how do you know there are bad teachers? Well, I know there are bad teachers because I've had bad teachers. Everyone has had a bad teacher, at least one. Everybody. You've had great teachers, too. I want to pay them a lot more money. But I don't want to pay the bad one the same amount. That just stands to reason to me. But then again, I also think that the K-12 model is antiquated, needs to be torn down and rebuilt uh, into a model that actually benefits the kids more so than the adults. But again, what do I know? I'm just a little old radio host. The four Democrats on the uh, state Supreme Court also sided with Roy Cooper on the overturning of two different ballot measures. By the way, uh, this is an article by Patrick Gleason at Forbes.com. Purple State governor and 2024 presidential prospect proves he's no moderate. He's going through all of these examples of how Roy Cooper, as governor, and even as attorney general, but really amped it up as governor, he has taken he has taken positions and filed briefings in court and filed lawsuits that are not moderate in nature. But he gets this image projected by his media allies that he is a moderate. And I don't know if that's going to last. I don't know if it can last. Because now as the head of the Democratic Governors Association, uh, his charge is to help get Democrat governors elected around the country. And everybody's looking to him like, oh, show us the way, Roy. Please tell us how you did it. It's like, okay, well, first, um, go back to Reconstruction and create a Democrat machine that controls every facet of state government. Let that run its course for about a century and a half. And then something, 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 and boom, you're governor. That's how you do it. The four, de- <laughs> the four Democrats on the state Supreme Court, uh, they were the ones that came up with a, a whole new standard, a three-part test invented out of whole cloth uh, on whether or not these um, referenda that we voted on, voter ID, and capping the income tax at 7% versus 10%, which is what it was, Roy Cooper signed on to that as well. It's an NAACP lawsuit. Oh, speaking of the NAACP. Oh, I have news about them. All right, hang on. Major League Baseball has announced they're doing a pitch clock. For 2023, they're bringing in a pitch clock. Banning of shifts. Banning of shifts. You can't shift your outfield anymore? I don't even follow Major League Baseball. That seems really weird, though. I don't follow. Yeah, I I, I don't. But I mean, I know what this stuff means. I thought I did. That You can't. They would shift all the time based on, hey, there's a righty. There's a lefty up, you know. He's a Republican. He's a Democrat. You got to shift to the other side. Uh, we got a feed coming in someplace. Here, oh, there it goes. Um, what else? Enlarged bases, bigger bases. 
How big are how big are we talking? I'd like to see comically, cartoonishly large bases. Like I want to see a base so big that when, like, if you don't jump, then you'll like get knocked down by it. Like it's got to be like five to six feet tall, like that big of a like a fat, thick, big base. Maybe a round one too. Make them round bases. Why do they? Why are they square bags? What's up with that? Why are they square? Right? Shouldn't it be round? Because if you hit one corner of the bag, then you're a little bit closer, right, to some other, like the guy throwing the ball in. If you can get on the corner, you're going to get, you can shave off like eight inches or so. But if they're round, then it's going to be same distance from anywhere. These are the things I think of just right off the top of my head. They really need me on the uh, the rules committee here uh, for Major League Baseball. I would provide my leadership to the unit. Not the baseball guy. What was his name? Randy something? Not him. Wasn't he called the big unit? Yeah, Randy Johnson. See that? I still got it. Oh, man. Hadn't followed baseball in like 25 years. Anyway, I just saw that come across the uh, the Twitter machine. They're going to put a pitch clock. I don't. Yeah, I don't really care about that. The pitch clock, I'm fine with that. No, I did not show prep this. I literally just saw it come down, uh, this announcement. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, Patrick Gleason writing at Forbes.com. Talking about how Ray, uh, our governor, our good friend, Governor Ray Cooper, I mean, that's what Hillary Clinton called him, and Kamala Harris called him Ray. Um, He's not a moderate. He doesn't behave like a moderate. Whereas Gavin Newsom, you know, when he's not telling people to cut off the air conditioning while wearing a fleece. um, By the way, that is an important kind of detail. He, He put out that statement telling everybody to, to, you know, not run their air conditioning because of the, you know, the, the crunch on the energy grid in California because they've made some really stupid decisions for decades out there. Um, and so, you know, you got not enough energy. And so he's saying, you know, to avoid rolling blackouts, everybody, you know, leave your AC higher. Leave it, leave the thermostat higher. Set your house at, you know, 78 degrees or something. But he delivers this message wearing a fleece. That's important because you don't wear a fleece if your house is set at 78 degrees and he doesn't. I know what you think. Well, maybe he's, you know, was it warm blooded where you get cold easily? Is that warm blooded? I think so. It's cold blooded. You'd be able to. Okay, whatever. So like. Remember the picture of him when he locked everybody down, said don't go out and don't wear masks and all that. And then he went out without wearing a mask. He was at, like, some football game or something or a baseball game. Remember that? His Super Bowl, right? Um, and it, that, was a, that was a climate-controlled space, but you know it was cooler than 78 degrees, and he wasn't wearing a fleece in that setting. So what does that tell me? It tells me that when he told everybody, keep your AC at 78 degrees, he's saying it from a, a space that is not lower than 70 or not higher than 78 degrees because you don't wear a fleece. So he's a liar. He's a hypocrite. But maybe he's trying to, you know, look like Glenn Youngkin. Maybe he thinks that the guy in Virginia won because he wore that fleece all the time. Maybe that's it. Anyway, Governor Newsom has made a name going after Republican governors whose states are among the top destinations for Californians uh, that are fleeing the state due to Newsom. And uh, Governor Cooper has directed his barbs towards in-state Republicans, at least for now, when asked in a recent CNBC interview to explain how he has found common ground with the Republican-run legislature here in North Carolina. Okay, so the question was, how have you been able to find common ground? 
He did not talk about the bipartisan budget that they recently enacted. Cooper responded by touting all of the areas of disagreement between he and the North Carolina Republican legislators. Maybe it's due to presidential ambitions. Maybe it's because of his new role as head of the Democratic Governors Association. No one other than Cooper, those closest to him, know the real reason why he's begun to sound more and more venomous towards Republicans, with whom he's going to actually need to work during the remainder of his time in office. But that shift in tone has occurred, and that is undeniable. That's Patrick Gleason. I mentioned earlier the NAACP, the North Carolina chapter of the NAACP, got in a bit of trouble. For decades, the public face of the organization has been an energetic organization, unbending in its fight against injustice. But in the last few years, the group has struggled with internal conflict, disciplinary action from its national organization, and financial turmoil that some say could hinder its operation. Challenges, this is, by the way, the, uh, the McClatchy newspaper, Lars Dolder and Dan Kane story from a couple of days back, a uh, very, very lengthy piece called North Carolina NAACP Loses Nonprofit Status. Audit Assessing Misspending Claims. So credit where it is due to the McClatchy papers for even touching this story. I had seen uh, somebody set up a website attacking the NAACP, the North Carolina chapter leadership. V- I mean, very, very lengthy posts. I read through a bunch of it, took like two hours. I was thinking, man, I'm not going to get that time of my life back. But um, I, I spent a long time reading through it, and I just, I could not, I did not have the time uh, to verify this stuff that this person was saying. Some of that is in this piece, I will say. Some of the accusations are in this piece. So again, kudos to the McClatchy reporters, Lars Dolder and Dan Kane for doing the story. Challenges within the state conference are diverse and complex, according to correspondence, bank statements, and an IRS move against the organization reviewed by the News and Observer. Number one, the IRS revoked the organization's nonprofit status this year. Number two, organization bank statements reflect years of payments made to unidentifiable parties with hundreds of thousands of dollars unaccounted for. Number three, the North Carolina NAACP remains under a punitive administratorship that its national organization launched back in 2019. And finally, factions within the organization's membership are passionately at odds with one group accusing the national organization of unjustly commandeering the state chapter. Many people closely involved with the organization refused to discuss the details for the article in the paper. But we'll give you some that they were able to nail down in a moment. All right, so I have been reliably informed by Mark Muller that the Major League Baseball rule banning shifts means that from now on, you just have to work 24-7. You're not allowed to work like the day shift or the night shift. That's what the... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, the shifting is of the players in the in the infield. Because the I was... Like, I didn't realize that apparently 
teams have been shifting because I haven't watched Major League Baseball in many, many years. They they have now started shifting the infielders based on who's batting. And so the whole infield will move to like, you know, if I get up there and I'm a right-handed swinger and I get up there and I always hit to the right side, they move everybody over to the right side. And that means that I'm more than likely going to hit the ball to the right side and I'm going to get out. And Major League Baseball wants more runs because we want more runs. We want to see more scoring. And so, of course, you know, there's an old axiom. If you listen to the fans too much, you're going to be sitting with them pretty soon. Okay? That, and I said this, we were having this discussion during the break because Mark came in and told me what this was about, that Major League Baseball is now banning the shifting of just the infielders. So you could still shift the outfielders. I don't know why that's allowed. But they're doing it in order to prevent people from getting as many outs and the batting averages have dropped. And I said, look, you're juicing the stats. You're trying to induce more runs in the game, right? Because the fans want to see more base running. They want to see more home runs and all this. And I said, well, why not just take the outfield wall, the fence, all the way at the end and just bring it all the way in to right outside the base path? So all you have is an infield. You'll see a lot of home runs then, right? Why? Why wouldn't you do that? What's wrong with my idea? Hmm? Doesn't make sense. That which is achieved too easily is esteemed too lightly. If everybody gets home runs all the time, they don't mean anything. And people are going to get bored with that. That's what makes the home run so amazing is it shouldn't happen all the time. Good Lord. I mean, I'm going to have to go in and save baseball now. I mean, because this, I mean, it is kind of what I do. I, you know, solve the world's problems here. So, I mean, like, I'll just do it. All right. I'll do it on retainer. I'll just come in as a consultant. You guys, just allow the shifts. Just make the, look, if you're a professional ball player, learn to hit in another part of the field. Right? It's all, yeah. Well, yeah. What it is is everybody gets a trophy kind of a mentality. That's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, I'm always hitting to the right side. I can't hit it to both sides of the field. I can only hit it to the right. So, wham, wham, they're guarding against the right side. So now I can't hit. We'll learn to hit over there. I don't want to. I can't. I can't do it. Meanwhile, you got somebody else like, I can hit it all over the field. And so now what? They get minimized. Right. You're, you're dimming their light to make yours seem brighter. My goodness, people. I'm glad I stopped watching baseball all those years ago. My word. Anyway, back to the uh, McClatchy piece on the North Carolina NAACP. The IRS disclosed this month that it had revoked the North Carolina NAACP's nonprofit status back in May after the organization failed to file tax returns for three years. (laughs) Three years. While not designated a nonprofit, any income that the conference receives will be taxed now, and the organization could be subject to fines for failing to file tax returns. Potentially more serious, in a meeting this February of about 30 state and national NAACP leaders, the state chapter treasurer, Gerald Givens Jr., shared findings from an investigation that he conducted into the North Carolina organization's financial health and history. His strictly confidential presentation that somehow or another got obtained by the News and Observer (laughs) detailed eight years 
of very problematic payment patterns. Eight years, eight years. Hmm, that's been a while. Eight years. Who was in charge of the uh, North Carolina NAACP eight years ago? You may recall Reverend William Barber. Mm-hmm. There could potentially be misappropriation of funds on multiple levels. More than a million dollars had been spent without proper authorization. Very interesting. I mean, this is a very lengthy piece. News and Observer, North Carolina, NAACP loses nonprofit status, audit assessing misspending claims. Story ran uh, August 30th in the McClatchy paper. Didn't get a lot of attention for some reason. Don't know why. (laughs) 